Well, good morning. He is risen. He is risen. I can't hear you guys. He is risen. Amen. Well, welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. We're glad you're with us. If you're visiting this morning, a special welcome to you guys. We're really, really excited you're here. But why don't we stand to our feet this morning? We're going to honor the Lord because he's so amazing. Because he loves us. Because he died for us. And today and every day, he walks with us. And so, Father God, as we go into worship this morning, we just say, you are a good God. And, Father, we love you. We choose to walk with you this morning. We choose to lay down all those distractions, all those things that just weigh down our minds and our hearts. And we say yes to you. We choose to worship you today, God, because you are God. So let's worship him this morning. It says in James, it says, draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. And a famous preacher years ago said, because of that truth, you are as close to God as you determine to be. Let me say that again. The door has been open. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, it says we've been given access. And so we're, we're called to draw near to God, which means we can, we can draw near or not draw near. So it's not God. He's not deciding for you. He's saying, you draw near to me. And what this journey is about is finding out the things that keep you from drawing near. And so this morning, whatever is an encumbrance, whatever stands between you and God, whether it's shame or fear or unforgiveness or distraction, in Jesus' name, you can take a hold of that and say, Lord, I need you today. I need to be nearer to you today than I was yesterday or last week or the week before. And I've determined today, God, that I must be near you. I want to be today like the woman at the well. Who, who drew near. I want to be like the woman who touched the, your garment, who pressed through the crowd. I want to be like the blind man who needed to be healed. And I cried out to you and cried out to you until you turned your eyes toward me. So, Father, we say, let every stone be removed. Let everything that impedes our ability to draw near to you be broken. Lord, may we know today that we can in fact, to be closer than we were yesterday, that we are not subject to random forces. God, that is not about my feelings, and it's not about circumstances beyond my control. Break these chains, Lord. Break them, break them, break them, break them. We declare today that Jesus Christ is not dead, that he is risen. We declare that Jesus Christ is not in the grave, but he is risen. Jesus Christ did not share a grave with common men. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. Every founder of every religion is dead in the grave and turned to dust. But Jesus is risen. We declare it into the air. We declare it. Jesus is risen. He is alive. He is alive. So let the resurrection life of Jesus 
Let the resurrection life of Jesus be released. Released from our lives. Released. Released in this place. You know, years ago, um, I had a, a radio station uh, program on some radio stations in Washington. And the guy right after me is a really well-known guy. But he used to, at the end of his show all the time, he says, let's say praise the Lord ten times. And I remember thinking, it's kind of hokey, <laughs> you know, but he had some faith and he had some anointing and some presence of God in his life. I thought, well, I'll just do it. And, and he said it in this very monotone, drab fashion. And I, I remember the first time I thought, I listened to him do it and I you know, I just was filled with all of this kind of judgment about it. And then, uh, you know, after it happened a number of other times, I, I thought, well, you know what? It, I could feel a little bit of life on this when we do it. So I'm going to do it. And so I just said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it, with each time I said it, I felt like the word praise, even though it was the same word I was saying again, gained significance in my heart. It gained meaning with each time that I said it. And I, my mind doesn't communicate that way. I should use, if I want to broaden the significance of this word, I should use other synonyms. But it seemed that as I just said the same word praise, it deepened and widened because that's the way the life of the Spirit works. It's not about the intellectual word. It's about the weight of the revelation, the reality behind the same word. So I said, praise the Lord. 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 And so there was... There was something that changed in my mindset that's not always about having a diversity of language or different songs. It's about the breadth of the knowledge behind the thing that you're saying. That's where the color is. That's where the excitement is. And so uh, we want to just finish this morning, but I want to say, He is risen. And I want you to say it with that same intention that the resurrection life comes through the declaration. There's something about when you, when you declare what you believe, it releases. It releases something. So let's, are you ready to say it? He is risen. One, two, three. He is risen. 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 Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I was mindful this morning when we started the prayer. And I would really encourage you, if you want to uh, think, of, think of worship Sunday morning, not as, you know, a certain amount of time spent, but think about it this way. How many of you hike? How many of you ever hiked? Ever in your whole life? Anybody hiked? Anybody ever hiked up hills? Do you find that there's a correlation between the speed you go up the hill and the time you spend going up the hill will determine how far, far up the hill that you go? Does that make sense? Right? The speed you go up the hill and the amount of time you spend going up the hill at that speed 
will in determine how high up the hill you get. Make sense? What if proximity to God was not about anything else but the speed in which you ascended the mountain and the time that you spent ascending the mountain, coupled with the place that you start on the mountain? Because you know what? We all live in the Spirit. Sometimes, you know, have you noticed some weeks you come in here and you're a little down? You're actually further down the mountain. You know what that means? If you actually came to pre-service prayer and began praying in tongues for an hour or worshiping God for an hour, you actually start going up that mountain. You start coming out of the little rat holes that you've been in all week. You start coming out of the darkness and the gloom and the depression of whatever it is. You know, don't depend, especially if you're a mature Christian, don't depend on the team to put some show on to stimulate you emotionally so that you're not... Actually, you can come out of it. That's, what, that's what's behind the idea of draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God is saying, listen, I've given you the ability to draw near to me. In other words, your moments, the higher moments on the mountain of God, it might, be, it might happen in the context of a conference, but what if, and this was the greatest day of my life, well, one of the greatest days, when I discovered that I didn't have to depend on circumstances apart from myself to draw near to God. When I, when I realized that any time I wanted to, I could draw near to God. And those, those moments that were exclusive in, in church or worship or conference or whatever it is, I could repeat those moments by ascending. And suddenly it took, the, the, it, it took control of things away from random factors. You know, well, I'm not feeling this way, and I'm down, and I'm this, and I'm depressed, and, I'm, and I began to realize I could come out of that. Whatever it was, I could come out of that. I could come out of that. And that's the message that Christ is given, that the resurrection life that he's given you, you can come out of. And so that's what Ephesians says. It says that we've been given access. We've been given access, but not all of us use that access. But some of us do to the point where Paul said we are seated in heavenly places. That is the product of using the access for the aim with which it was given. So you could rule and reign and live life from a position on the mountain rather than in the valley. Amen? For years now, I have known Kim and Lynn Wheeler. They're missionaries extraordinaire. I tell you what, these guys are quality apostolic missionaries. Kim's going to share today it's my privilege to welcome him, and he is risen. Oh, yeah, you guys are awake. Awesome. Praise God. I want to, it's always really challenging to preach in your home church. You know that? It, it is. It just, it's just a challenging thing, unless you're the pastor. It's because of a, there's a great, it's a great honor to as well, and uh, everyone knows you. They know the good, the bad, and the ugly, Right? You know, so it's, it's, it's more of a challenge, especially, though, on a day like today. Because this is one of the most uh, precious days in Christianity. Right? It is. It's just so precious to us to know uh, what Christ has done for us, through us. I always feel it's so important because you guys support us in many ways. Financially, number one, you are our home church now as well. It is such a, a, a scriptural thing to do is when you have the opportunity to share like today to be able to give a report, a missions report. It is, it is just 
you see it throughout the scripture where, where Paul and Silas and, and Peter and John and, and any one of them says they would always go out and they'd come back and they'd give a report of what they saw and what they heard. Amen? Because it is what builds us up. It builds up our faith. But it's also because you're a part of it in your giving, in your prayers, in your sending. And it was taking that ownership of it. You know, we, Lynn and I just got back last week. We were in Guatemala for over two, over two months. And uh, we're gone again. Uh, we're here. And then we're gone again till middle of May. Get to be back for one week. And then we're gone again for another month as well. So ministering throughout Central America, but also through North America in the next month or so. But I never like, I never just come and ask for money. You know, that's not it. It's sharing what the Lord is doing. And it's the Holy Spirit moves on people say, I want to be a part of that. Now, I want to share something before I kind of get into a message, um, which is about today. What's today? Easter, where Christ died, but then he rose again. And I, I, I don't think, you know, we can't get, get by without sharing about that. But I want to call this message. I don't usually have a, a name. I do have a title for the sermon today. The Greatest Missionary. No, I know what you're thinking. It's not me. Sorry. No. <laughs> Although I'm a close second or third, maybe, but, but I'm talking about Jesus. He was the first and the greatest missionary. Did you know that? We left here around the middle of January, and we had a conference we were ministering at in, in uh, Chicago. And from there, we went to, to Guatemala, and we had a series of conferences, or I'm sorry, of crusades. We've been doing these now for the last five years or so. Two, three, four crusades every year, and they vary in size. Some two, three thousand, some seven, eight, nine thousand, and it all depends on where. And we pray. We ask, Lord, where do you want us to go? And He sends us. And so, depending on the area, but we've always seen the same results. When you share the love of Jesus, people come. It is amazing. When you, when you share what he has for you and what he's done for us, people want to receive Christ. So this year, uh, we started out with a series of ones. We went to a place called Coban, which is one of our favorite places. It's up in the rainforests of Guatemala. So we went up there. We've never been up there before to do a crusade. We've done outside, outdoor things. And during the one time, what we always do with every crusade as well is we want to bless the people. Not just give them the word, but we also, there's some, and most of the places we go to are very impoverished, very poor. This place, uh, no different, except this where we were going into was a red zone. Um, and if anyone doesn't know what a red zone is in a, in, in a developing nation, it means it's dangerous. In other words, don't go there. That's to the tourist. But to the missionary, it's, it's like a calling card. Oh, red zone. Let's go, dear. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, oh, wonder what's happening. We should go and see, you know. And, uh, but this time we had a team of about 15 to 20 Canadians. And sometimes that's a really good thing, going to a red zone. Sometimes it's not a really good thing. This time it was really good. When we went there, this time, last year, the last couple of years, we gave out uh, probably about 2,500 bags of groceries. And each one, $15, $20 a piece. That's what it would cost. And that was to bless families. 
because that's we knew how many families would be going out. It's a ton of work, preparation. We go to every one of these homes before and invite them to the crusade, invite them to, the, to, to come and hear the gospel. But these are through churches, local churches in the areas that we work with. And so they know where the people are. They know where the need is. And uh, they also know which ones know the Lord for the most part. So most of these families are unchurched, unsaved uh, people, families. And this happened to be a red zone. And there was about 700 homes, more or less, that we invited to the service. And so instead of going and giving them a pair of shoes, we went to the schools, though where these families were, but we gave them tickets so that they can receive these pairs of shoes. And now we were handing out 3,500 pairs of shoes, and each one cost us about 3 to $4 a piece. Okay? So it's not a small and it's not a cheap thing to do the gospel right. Amen? But I want, the reason I'm sharing this is because you guys were a part of that. I don't know about if you remember, but I sent out a, a, a message saying, hey, guys, we need more help. We sent them out to our, our supporters, to our partners, to the churches. And you guys responded, and I think there was $1,000 that came, over $1,000 that came from this church to help buy some of these shoes to give to these kids. And so this is the first school. We went to a, three schools altogether. And we gave out um, over 1,000 pairs of shoes in this area. And then the next Crusades, then we a total of 3,500. But this one was pretty unique because we didn't tell the team what we were going to do. We said, okay, guys, we have to go to this school. This is now the day of the first Crusade, the first night. And we go to this school. About 75% of these kids that go to the school, there's about 500, they're either our single parents or their parents are in the gangs, gang members. Hence the red zone. That's why it's called a red zone. Because it's, it's too dangerous for police to generally go in. It's a very dangerous area. The gangs are the ones who are in charge, and they rule the roost. And you have to get permission to come in. You do. If you don't get permission, you can be in trouble. We get permission by the Holy Spirit. We come in. We're not afraid. We go in, and we go talk to them. We say, we want to give you a gift. And they go, what you talking about? What do you mean? I says, we want to bless your children. And they go, with what? He says, we want to give you new shoes. And they go, yeah? Okay. And they're trying to figure out what's going on, you know. And uh, so, so they give us the permission. We end up going to the schools. And most of these kids, their parents are gang members. We went in. And then we told the team, oh, by the way, we're going to wash every one of their feet. Now, most of them didn't have shoes to begin with. They just have sandals or, or flip-flops. And so we lined them all up. And this, doesn't, this is like a two-hour process. So we lined them all up. It's like 20 at a time. And we get these buckets. And then we wash. We put the, the kids come in. They take off their shoes or whatever they have. And we wash their feet. And we put the new shoes on. And we bless them. And we share the love of Jesus. And we tell them Jesus loves them. We, give them, we didn't give them all a Bible, but we gave them a tract as well. And then we also invited them, and bring your parents, which we've already invited, to the crusade. Amen? I think it was more life-changing to the, to the team than it was to the kids. Even though the kids, you saw the faces, you saw the kids. There was a variety of shoes, not just all the same. 
some runners, some different ones. They, we had some adult ones as well that we did, but we handed those out at the crusade after the, afterwards as well. So we just want to say thank you for being a part of that. We saw over a 1,000 people come and give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw hundreds of, of healings and signs and wonders. I mean, you, that's the cool part is, you know, when you invite Jesus to come, his calling card is healing. Did you know that? He says, this is who I am. I always find it's the easiest time there is for signs and wonders and healings to abound is in a crusade. There's a different atmosphere. There's a different anointing that comes. And it was a very little bit of surprising to me because we actually had a, an evangelist booked and uh, supposed to come. And then all of a sudden, he, uh, he got very sick and he wasn't able to make it. <laughs> so I had to preach. And so I was saying, oh, Lord, man, what are you doing here? You know, me? I haven't done this in a number of years. I love doing it. But I wasn't, I wasn't expecting it. But yet... Even God can use a fool like me. Amen? Well, then, the next week comes by, and we're doing the next crusade, and guess what? The next evangelist that's supposed to come and preach calls me and says, Kim, I can't make it. <laughs> I won't tell you why. And all of a sudden, so I'm sitting there, well, who's going to do it? And, and the, the guy says, well, I, I think you're, you're supposed to do it. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, three crusades? I had to do all three. And so it's, it's be, this is a good example of be ready. Be ready because you never know what God's going to do. I wasn't expecting to do it, but praise God, the results were the same because it's not us. It's Christ in us. But it's also because of the prayers of the saints that are with us. That, that helps us to get through. Well, after the Crusades... Then we, we were able to come. We had, I think, four teams that come came in the period of a month and a half. Two teams were these filters of hope, and we've been doing that for a couple of years now. And we were able to give out about 275 of state-of-the-art filters, water filters, to 275 families. Awesome. Just amazing. Through those, we saw probably, well, at least 100 people come to the Lord individually, personally, as we visited their homes and talked to them. I'd say much more because many of them were whole families when they would, would come and we'd do these things. But the biggest thing is the salvation. Giving them the clean water gives them, changes their life and helps them in, in a variety of ways, which is an awesome thing. And we had, a, we had a couple here from this church that also donated towards that for the next now we're able to go and buy some more and, and bring in some more. So that's mission work. That's just what you do. That's what we do. We go and share the love of Christ in many ways. And I, one of my favorite uh, statements is from uh, St. Francis of Assisi. He says, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. That's kind of what missions is about. It's just demonstrating and showing the power of God, the love of God through our actions. In our words. But at the same time, sharing, being ready to be a light and to share the gospel of Jesus. But you do it through your actions as well. And that's kind of what this is about, church. It's coming here of hearing and seeing, being lifted up, being, being prepared, and then being sent. And I, and I wasn't going to share this, but I just feel by the Holy Spirit leading me just before I got up to share this testimony. I don't know why, because it, it kind of fits in, but it doesn't. 
but I want to be led by the Spirit of God. So this might be for you guys. I remember a number of years ago, my wife and I were in Nicaragua, and we, we had a team from New Jersey with us. The, we were going to go door to door. This is what we do. And we were going to go into one of the slum areas of, of Nicaragua, and uh, it was pretty rough, pretty dangerous area, but we're going with a local church and a couple people from the area, and we knew there were a lot of gangs in this place and in this area. How many know that what God tells us to do sometimes isn't always an easy thing? It's wonderful when he tells us to go to Disneyland and, and, and take your kids and, and bless them and, 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 and share the gospel there, you know. Like. <laughs> but sometimes it's not Disneyland. Sometimes it's other places. Or sometimes he tells us to go and do things or give in, at moments that's not easy. But do we believe Jesus is who he said he is? Do we believe that Christ is in us? Do we believe that Jesus sent us? But you know, we went, and we've done this a number of times, but these were rookies. These guys have never gone before, the ones from New Jersey, uh, the ones that we took. My wife and I, we broke up into about five different teams of about five or six people each. And so we were going to go, and I took this one area that I knew was a little bit rougher. My wife was with me, and I think three, three others from the team, and one other Nicaraguan, right? So as we're going door to door, and just basically inviting them to come to church that night, because we're having a special service, and this special gringo was there, me, you know, <laughs> Mr. Missionary. <laughs> and uh, so we're inviting them to come. Well, maybe, what, 10, 15 minutes? Very shortly. After the first door we knock and we're talking to them and then we go to the next door and these are just little shacks right it's in the middle of, of Nicaragua it's, or of Managua this capital city but it, it's pretty slummy and it's pretty poor homes so we knock on the little tin shack and and someone opens the door and we're talking to them and there's about 12 13 young men hanging around outside like like just about this far away from us and uh you know it's a gang. It's obvious. It's a gang. And so I'm, I go up to them and say hello. You know, I have no problems with that. And they're looking at you. I'm like, what's this gringo doing here, man? Like, it just, I, I think I just scare them, the fact that I'm actually there, you know. But anyway, as we start going, all of a sudden, another gang of about 12, 11, 12 guys come running around the corner, machetes, guns in their hands. These guys, the other guys that are hanging around, that was their area. And all of a sudden, they have their machetes, and they pull out their guns from their pockets or wherever it is, and there's a full-blown gang war right in front of us. And so I've got my wife, and I've got three, four others with me, three other new guys from New Jersey. And I, you know how it's amazing how things flash before your eyes. And I'm looking at the national news. Missionaries die violently. No, <laughs> Seriously, that's when, you, that's when it says you tear down those vain imaginations, right? But it's literally right in front of us. There's this gang war happening, and these guys are whacking each other, shooting each other right in front of us. I've got my wife here, and I'm thinking, what do I do, Lord? And he says, get inside. So the woman told us, come in, you know, like that we're talking to, very reluctantly. But she came in, and we started to pray immediately, praying in the Spirit. See, now... If something like that happened to you today, do you know what to do? Are you trained? That's what church is about. I believe you guys in this church is well trained. It's like when Mark, Pastor Mark came up and, and he says, this is a time to worship in the Spirit. That was an awesome, that was, a, that was of the Holy Spirit. 
And that's what, that's what this training is all about. It's not about doing it in here. It's about listening so that you can do it out there. And being led of the Spirit of God in our assignment on earth. And we started praying in intense intercession in tongues. I just told everyone, so just start praying, you guys, praying in the Spirit. One or two of the, of the team started to freak out, started to panic, got to calm them down. The, the, the wife or the lady of the house was, was screaming, and the, the walls, um, cinder block wall, was, was like actually coming. We thought it was going to get broken right in from the guys getting thrown to the, onto the wall. And uh, we're saying, God, what do we do? What do we do? He says, just keep praying in the name of Jesus. Start to bind up the spirit of death. So we started to declare, in Jesus' name, we bind up that spirit of death. And I took about, after about four minutes, maybe five minutes max, all of a sudden, there was a dead calm. Absolutely nothing. So I remember looking at Lynn and saying, are they all dead? You know, like, what, what happened here? But there was like this, it's it just, the atmosphere suddenly changed. Not just the sound not just the, the, the lack of, of, of what you could hear, but the atmosphere all of a sudden changed in the room where we were. So I said, I got to go outside. So I went out, opened the door, and I looked out, and there's 22, 23 young men, all bleeding, some of them quite, quite severely, and they're all standing there like this, looking around. It's, it's, it's like they were just hypnotized. Some of them were just like... What's going on? But you could feel the presence of God. And so the Holy Spirit said to me, he says, invite them in. And, you know, there's moments when you ask, question God. Has anyone ever questioned God? <laughs> Come on now. Let's be honest. Is anyone? Now, I know, wives, you question your husbands all the time. But, I mean, how many of us truly question God? I do. Like, like I don't understand. I said, God, are you Are you sure? <laughs> But the Holy Spirit said, invite them in. And I'm thinking, you know, it takes a matter of, and this all happens in a matter of seconds, right? It's like, are you, God, are you sure? And it's like, you get the okay from the Lord. It's okay. All right, God. So I invite them in. And the woman, she was like the, of the house. I mean, this isn't my house. And I'm inviting them in. But, but it's like she was okay with this. She didn't know what was going on. So here's 22 to 24 gang members, two separate gangs. They all have their bandanas, their colors, and their tattoos. I mean, they're all tattooed up. And, uh, and this is a very serious, very real thing. They're all bleeding. Some of them were pretty bad. And they're all there. And the Holy Spirit speaks, and he says, share the message. Share Jesus. So about five, what, five minutes maybe? Do you remember? It wasn't long that I shared Jesus. I just shared who Jesus was and that he's here for you. And this is what's happening. And it says, today, right now, is your moment to, she, to, to receive Jesus. And every one of them, they took off their bandanas and they crossed their hands. Some of them kneeled. And every single one of them received Jesus as Lord that day, that moment. Then something incredible happened, as if that wasn't incredible enough. But something incredible actually took place. If you understand gangs, and if you understand um, colors, bandanas, they're, they're who they are, they started taking off their bandanas and giving them to each other. That is just never done. That, you just don't do that. Because it signifies, you're my brother. When you give, if I give my 
bandana and my colors to him. He says, that's like, I'm going to die for you. You you are my brother, you're my family, and I'm going to die for you. That's what they're saying. Now, some of them were were pretty stoned, and, and I don't think really knew what was going on. That's just the truth of it. There was two or three of them that were like completely, like you could see they were high. And I don't think they really quite knew what they were going on in the natural. I don't know in the spirit. Only God knows. But the rest were pretty no, fully known. And, and they all, we started to exhort them. They need to get to a church. They need to start to get to know and be discipled by the Lord Jesus. We invited them to the service that night. Many of them came. But the one gang that attacked said, we can't come back tonight because we'll die. Because at night, if we try to come in, he says, they'll, they'll kill us. There's no way we'd be able to make it out. And, and so the other gang, the gang members that just gave their bandanas, they said, don't worry, we're going to protect you. You're okay. And about five or six of them came. Not all of them, but about half of them came to that service that night. Out of all of that, over the course of a few years, two of them went to Bible school and became pastors. Out of that gang. Amen. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit's telling me to share this for, for, because of what he's called you as a church to do. And sometimes we, we, we limit the Lord of who he can save and what his great salvation, who it was for, and how far can it reach? How much can it do? There was a moment, that was the moment of great salvation where it really didn't have a lot to do with us. But it was a moment of obedience to the, to the Lord. And the Lord came in and he says, he says, can I save Spruce Grove? Can I save a community? Can I save a people? Can I save a family? Can I save your brother? Can I save your sister? And we, ha- and we, we so often put our limits. Oh, God, I, I don't think so. I don't, no, they're, they're, it's not possible. But that's when the Lord says, just pray. Just believe. Be a missionary. Go out and do what I've called you to do. Leave the rest to me. And something's going to take place. Jesus, the greatest missionary. And I just want to touch on a few things here. And uh, I was sharing with Pastor Mark yesterday because the Lord was showing me some cool things about when I was studying out about what Jesus actually did for us on, when he died and when he rose, and any of you ever heard of the term called substitutionary atonement? It's one of the deepest, most difficult theological uh, concepts to under, truly understand because of the depth of it in, in what actually took place. And it's one of my pet peeves, actually. I have a pet peeve. Anyone have pet peeves? I have a pet peeve, is how so many believers don't have a clue of what salvation really is. Instead, we go around and we say, you need to be saved to to, to someone who doesn't know Jesus. And they go, saved from what? Well, I don't know, but you're a sinner. You need to be saved. And Jesus' blood is going to wash you clean. Blood's going to wash me. And, and, and we don't have an, a concept or an understanding of what that means or how to describe it because we don't ourselves have that revelation of it. And we need to know what did Jesus actually do for us. Why do we call him the greatest missionary? I want to read something to you in Philippians chapter 2. 
You see, because Jesus was the greatest missionary, but he's also our greatest example. And it says, as Jesus is, in 1 John, so also are we in this world. And in Philippians chapter 2, it says, if there is any encouragement, starting at verse 1, I just want to read this. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I'd say most Christians would agree with this. Whether we do it or not is another story. But we aim, I believe most, most true believers aim to do this. Right? It's not as easy as, it's, as it sounds, but we aim to do it. But it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Other translations say, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's giving us a, a it, it's actually, there was, I was doing, when I was reading some of the, some of the scholar, scholar uh, different scholars on some of this, they were calling this, this part of these verses here that Paul was doing was a paradigm for the church. In other words, it was, it was an absolute truth, a revelation that Paul was revealing and bringing out to the church that we're to live by. And it was like a foundation for the church to understand and to, to, to move and to go and to have our being. He's saying that, that we're to, to, to count others as more important as yourselves, Jesus being the exact perfect example for us. Although we, he was in the form of God, the word form there actually means in the exact image and likeness. In other words, there's no separating the, the, between the two. And there's another scripture where it says, says, although Jesus, being in the form of God, did not count equality something to be grasped. In other words, it, w- it was a non-issue to him because he was. Do you see that? Because he was. So it was, it was nothing to ponder and to grasp and to say, well, that's mine. Because it already is. Right? And he says, but he was in the form of God. Understand who Jesus was, the Son of God. He was right there with God, the Father, at creation, all things. I think we all understand that. But then it says, he changed that all around, and it says he took on the form of a servant, the exact opposite of who he really was. And he was found in human form, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross, the most humiliating, most humbling form of death that was known to man at that day, only, only meant for, for the worst. But he chose, he, gave, he, gave, he chose to give up 
his form of who he was, and he took on the form, the same word, the same meaning. He gave up his form as God, the exact likeness, and he took on the form of man, the same, no difference. In other words, we couldn't, we couldn't uh, make any distinction between him or us. He didn't give up his divinity. He didn't give up his godhood, but he gave up his position. Now, here's where many people don't understand, is we, we seem to grasp or think that he did that, and then when he died, and then he rose again, and he went back to the way he was before. No. It, it, it was forever. Whenever he appears to people, he's appeared to me twice, both times. The very first thing that I saw were the nails, the, the marks in his hand, and I saw a blood stain on, on his robe. Every time he would appear to his disciples after he rose, what's the first thing he'd show? Look. Why would he do that? Now, this is after the resurrection. This is after he's already gone to the Father and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Think of that. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And then he comes. And in what form did he come? Man with marks. It was never the same again. He was still God. He was still divine. And he still had the Godhood, but he also still had the manhood. And he was forever, ever with those scars for all eternity because of us. Wow. So it wasn't just a 33 years he's got to suffer through us and make it here and then go back and, oh, I can handle this, you know, because that's just a short time in eternity. No, it was a forever sacrifice. But then something really amazing takes place here that Paul addresses. And he says, because of that, God, the Father, exalted him. Wasn't he already exalted before? Think of this. Wasn't Jesus already exalted? Like, how much further can you go? <laughs> right? But it says, God exalted him, his name above every name. And this is now something, I just learned this. I didn't even realize this until studying this out for you guys. I had to. Study these things up just for you guys. But I saw, and I actually, I actually called Pastor Mark to make see what he thought. You know, the th- great theologian and you know, great orator and stuff. But you know, what was the name that it was given to Jesus? What did God the Father give the name to Jesus that was above every name? Wasn't didn't he already have that? Do you know what it was? Now, most scholars, it doesn't actually come out and say it, but there's like about a half dozen times it's referred to this. And they say, most scholars, they say they, they, they believe the name that was given him was Yahweh. And that was only reserved for God the Father. The only name. And it says, because of that, he says, so God says, I am giving you my name because of what you did. And now you're at my seat. But it didn't stop there. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 33, then Jesus, when he was given this name, now he had all authority. Now, this is what it says. 
all authority. Didn't he already have all authority? We've got to think of some of these things. Didn't he already have that before? I guess maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. But it says, now he has all authority in the name Yahweh because it's his name. And it says, when he went to the Father, what's the very first thing he did? It says he went to the right hand of God the Father. And it says, and then he had the authority in the name of Yahweh to give us the Holy Spirit. To release the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, before that, the Holy Spirit was an outside force. And, and he would come upon man and he would kind of force himself upon man. And it was an outside thing. But he couldn't dwell in us because the sacrifice hadn't yet been given. Because if the Holy Spirit, being God himself, if he was to dwell inside man before man was enlightened, before we had a sacrifice, before, before we were light ourselves, we'd just simply explode. God of the universe, light, that was the mystery. That in Colossians it says, the mystery that all the prophets of the world couldn't understand. How? How can this be? I, the God, they saw who God was. They knew who God was. They, they could see the outside um, uh, events and, and, and all the different things that happened, but they couldn't understand how God could dwell inside man, Christ in us. It was a mystery. They couldn't figure it out until Jesus did what he did. Amen? And rose from the dead. But then he didn't just stop there, but then he turned around and he gave it to us. This is how, this is what we have to know now, who we are and what we're called to do. And in what way? Not in our own strength, right? Not in our own strength, but in his. And so he says, now, he's sitting beside the father and he says, okay, dad. He says, I've got that authority, Yahweh, in that name, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And it was only Yahweh that was able to send the Holy Spirit to man to dwell inside man, not just outside, so that we could all operate and walk in that same power and that same authority. And what does it say when Jesus went to the right hand of God the Father? And when he sent his son, when he sent the Holy Spirit to us? And when we are born again from, from darkness into light, where are we? It says we're seated with him. At the same place where Jesus is seated, we're seated with him in those heavenly places. Not because of us, but because of this incredible sacrifice. Amen? And then he turns around and he says, now, what I did, I'm calling you to do. I was the first missionary, I was the great missionary, and I was sent for you. Who's, oh, uh, even though I was comfortable where I was, I didn't count it. I didn't, I didn't look at it. But I saw what I was supposed to do, what the Father wanted me to do. And he says, I'm willing to go and do it. And he says, now, he says, as I was, now you are in this world. And he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He says, now we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and go out and be Jesus in this earth. That's what he's called us to do. That's what the Easter message is all about. And it says, in the beginning, this is God's great plan of salvation. This is what it was all about. Jesus, right at the beginning, right at the, in the garden, the two trees. And Jesus accepted the call, 
right then and there. Actually, before that, he already accepted the call. I'll go. The plan was already written. The call was already accepted. And then there was about 4,000 years of time that passed of preparation, preparing for that day that the plan was initiated. And it was initiated not at Jesus' birth. It was initiated at his conception, at Mary's conception. And he was the most vulnerable at that moment. He had absolutely no, no authority, no power, no, no way to protect himself except through Mary and Joseph. But that's why God so picked them, handpicked them, because he knew they were obedient. Then, once the plan was initiated, then it had to be worked out. 33 years of living on this earth. He was a missionary, and he worked out salvation. Doesn't it tell us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling? And it doesn't mean, because our salvation isn't by works. So he's not talking about working out your salvation to go to heaven. He's saying, now work out the salvation that you've been given. He's saying, now let's work out what we've been called to do. That's why Pastor Mark goes to these nations. That's why he goes to those places. Because he's working out the call that, he's been, that, that he received, I don't know how many years ago, but it took many years of preparation, many years of, of study and, and going through some hard times. Right? Same with us. But then there was the day it was initiated. And from the day it was initiated, then there's the working out. And that's the part we're in right now. That's where we're at right at this moment. Right? If you've received it. If you've accepted it. Then, now we get to Easter and it was finalized. Now the plan, now God's plan was finalized at his death. In other words, when Paul came to the end and he was finished nearing the end, he said, Jesus said himself, it is finished. But Paul came, he says, he says I, my time is at hand. I have finished my course. And he realized, I've, 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 he says, there's a crown waiting for me because I have been faithful to that call. There's a crown for us waiting for us as we have worked out that plan of salvation that God has given. Each and every one of us have something unique and different to share and to give in it. Each and every one of us. Some easier than others. That's a fact, right? I just, I, I just wish, you know, there's some who actually get called to be missionaries in Hawaii. I know some. I know some, honestly. And I, every time we look at them, we just laugh. Yeah, right, missionaries, yeah. It's, just, it's harder than you think. <laughs> but it's still, nonetheless, the call. And it's a different call. And it has its own challenges. Right? Then, at his resurrection, it's realized. That's when, that's when it all, that, at, when Jesus died, it wasn't finished. It, the, his working out, his, his missionary call was finished. But the resurrection is when it was really actually realized because that, at that moment, is when he was able to send the Holy Spirit and it starts all over again. So it starts all over again in you, Sherry. 
where he has a plan for you. Amen. There's the preparation. But then there's the day of conception, the day of initiation, that you step out in it, right? A working it out. Then there's a day of, of, of where it's finished. And you know when that day comes? For some, it's harder than others. It says when we die. When we die to self. Paul says we die daily. Isn't that the same concept? He says we're to die to self. Jesus died to himself, but then he rose again. And that's what we're called to do. We're supposed to die to ourselves, but then rise again. And we're not rising again in our own likeness. It says when he died, he says he went back to the Father and he regained that form of God. But he didn't lose the form of man. He was both. And when we die to ourself, we're raised again in his form, in his likeness. And we become as Jesus is on this earth. But yet, in the same way, we still have the form of man. How, is, how can that be? How can that be? That's why Christ came. He was the first. Because he's to show us the way it can be done. Right? It's like men putting down the toilet seat. It can be done, right? <laughs> it is possible. No. <laughs> That's a bad analogy, isn't it? <laughs> so now, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us as a body of Christ? It leaves us with this Today, resurrection day. That now Jesus has finished his job, but he turned and he gave the baton to us. So now the baton is yours, Yoshi. Baton is yours. Baton is yours. And he's saying, now die to yourself. Amen? You know how you die to self? Paul told us at the very beginning. He says, don't count yourself as anything, but count others as more important as yourself. Because that's what Jesus did. And if we count ourselves as more important, guess what happens? We say, well, I don't think I, I you, know, you know, I need that. But when we start to count others as more important, as more valuable, he says, then we take on the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, he's our motivation to going and stepping out and doing these exploits. And I believe why the Lord wanted me to share that testimony was because sometimes we, we look at some things that the Lord, that we, we dare to go to in our, in our minds. Oh, this is what he's called me to do, and this is what he's told me to do. And, and, and then our, our brain kicks in and says, oh, that's impossible. Can't do it. Oh, I, I don't think we can. But that's when we look and we say, Jesus says, don't worry, just do what you're, I've asked you to do, and I'll take over from there. Let the Holy Spirit bring the conviction. Yeah, I just want to share, like, he touched on something here that I feel is so significant. And uh, I just want to give a plug for this. You know, when Jesus obeyed God, he was given a name that he did not have before. Do you know that your calling is the same? that God is intent on giving you a name that you don't have now. In fact, it says in Revelations here, 3, it says, this is what he says. He says, 
he who has an ear, let him hear. In other words, if you can hear this, take this in. What the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. To who? To everybody? To him who overcomes. I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. The bread of life. And I will give him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. The name coincides with the nature equal to that. Actually, as he was talking, I started, because we talked about this yesterday, I began to think about some of the significance of some of the titles. And I was looking at some of the English, you know, titles. And, of course, there's the king, but then there's the Duke of Wales, or Prince of Wales, there's a Duke of Wellington, there, there are marquees, there are baronesses, there are knights. There, like there's layers of, of titles. And in the case of the kingdom of God, what he's saying is, is that there is a nature equal to a name. So what God is saying to you is your destiny is not just to go to heaven, but your destiny is to participate in a nature that's equal to a name I want to give you. That the whole reason you're here on earth is to actually work out your salvation, to step into the nature behind the name I want to give you. And the working out is, is exchanging your fallen nature, your human nature, for the nature I want to give you. And the ability to transfer... So that, that, that nature I want to give you lives instead of the one that you have is death. That's why Paul said that I may know him in the fellowship of his sufferings and in the power of his resurrection. That to the degree that we enter into the same fellowship of his sufferings, to, to the degree that we die to our old nature, something of that other nature arises in us. And so I, I just feel like there is something way beyond our comprehension here that it, it could redefine the way we view our Christianity and our faith and our years here. That God is saying, listen, I have not only thrones and dominions, not only do I mean for you to be a joint heir with me, but the degree to which you actually step into this will be the degree to which you share in that rulership. That there is a name, there is a title, there is a role, there is a nature that I want to not only give you, which is actually already in you, the seed of that is already in you, but working it out, substituting one nature for another is the journey. And so all of the other elements that we have, whether it's coming to church, whether it's, it's choosing to repent or loving our neighbor or, or learning these disciplines of prayer and getting into the Word of God and revelation, is so that this other nature could come forward in us. Paul said this, it said, it pleased the Father to reveal his son in me. And that's what God is saying. I don't want you to just be content about or thinking I'm going to heaven. I want to reveal a nature in you of the fullness of which is in my son, but a part of which can come out of you. And I'll give you a name equal to that as you step into it. And an authority, an authority of that name. So, Father, we say... May that, maybe the understanding of this, Lord, go deeper and deeper into our hearts. 
God, may we count every sacrifice, may we count all the suffering as nothing compared to the glory that, that is in the name that you are preparing for us and have prepared for us. God, that we could walk into the fullness of what you've called us to. Thank you, Lord.